Hello, everyone. Welcome to JCV Art Studio, Season 5. I had some fun this morning. I have a scooter, and it's a Honda scooter, and it's called, the model is called Giorno. <laughs> Giorno. So Giorno is going to find its way into a manuscript one of these days, but it's a it's a like a really cool green like uh like I should like um uh, I'm not gonna keep going about the color of the green, but it's this beautiful green color. And I pulled out my scooter, put on my helmet, and I rode to the local grocery store and had so much fun just buying a jug of milk. So <laughs> yeah, it was that or workout. And I thought, no, I need more practice on the scooter. So anyways, enough about me. Today I have, she's a prolific author and her name, I'm so glad she's back. Her name is Hannah Mar Mary McKinnon and she's back with me today. Hannah was born in Manchester, UK, to British and Swiss parents, and her family moved to Switzerland. Hannah loved the mountains, chocolate and cheese, and I loved this on her website, it said, or mountains of chocolate and cheese, which uh, I, yeah, I hear ya. <laughs> okay. So after completing commercial studies in Geneva, Hannah worked as a PA for DuPont. A year later, she moved to Neuchatel and became the purchasing manager for a high-tech company that made motors for industrial and space applications. Yeah, I bet they were uh, bet more than 50 cc's. <laughs> That's what my little, <laughs> what my little uh, scooter has. So anyways, while working, she returned to university studying part-time for a Bachelor of Science, and then a friend of a friend introduced her to another friend who'd started up an IT recruitment business. She joined the company late 1995 and over the next 15 years rose through the ranks to become CEO. Hannah's writing career began after her family moved to Oakville in Ontario in 2010 she says on her website that maybe it was the failed attempt at a startup company or an early midlife crisis, but one morning she decided to follow her oldest passion, and that was writing, and she's never looked back. Her first book was a romantic comedy, but then she switched to the dark side of suspense. Hannah, welcome back. It's good to, good to chat with you again. You, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be back. Thanks for having me. On the show again, Joanna. Season five. I can't believe it. That's amazing. Congratulations. Oh, it's, 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 um, I am booking. When people contact me now, I am booking for 2024. Wow. Yeah. So wow. we've spoken, we have our bookings lined up for this year. And uh, it's just the word is getting out. And I'm being approached by um, American publicists. And amazing. Uh, yeah, That's we're saying congratulations. That's fantastic news. Yeah, yeah. So we have been taught, we had, were talking before we got on mic. What is first chapter fun? Oh my gosh. First chapter fun is a labor of love um, that started in the pandemic in 2020. 
So when COVID, when shutdowns, actually lockdowns arrived here in Canada first, um, I was on a group chat in Messenger, Facebook Messenger, with about, about 14 other authors. And we were all just collectively freaking out about COVID, about the whole situation, and also about the fact that we had books coming out and everything was being cancelled, library events and launches and, 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 and everything. There was just so much uncertainty, if you think back three years ago. And I, off the cuff, um, basically said, because we were talking about how we could support one another and help one another. And I said, well, what if I read the first chapter live on Facebook and Instagram? And I thought maybe half a dozen people would agree to me doing this. And it turned into me reading 55 days in a row every day. I started the very next day, the very next day. So this was about 7.30 at night that I floated the idea. At 11.30 the next day, I started. I went live on Instagram and Facebook, two devices, steep learning curve, um, and read Samantha Bailey's Woman on the Edge. And it grew from there every single day, Saturday, Sundays, week, every single day for 55 days in a row. And the plan was to just do this for about six weeks because I had Sister Deer coming out. So it really was just you know, <laughs> supposed to be a temporary thing. And then Hank Philippi Ryan, um, crime author from, from uh, America, asked me if I wanted to continue and what I was going to do. You know, she said, you can't, you can't stop this. This is great. You can't, you can't just abandon it. And I countered with, well, I can't read every day because my publishers expect me to write books. So, <laughs> and she offered to, to join. So then we co-hosted every Tuesday and Thursday. So twice a week. And then as of January this year, 2023, we dropped down to once a week, every Tuesday. So every Tuesday at 12.30 on First Chapter Fun, there's a Facebook group and on Instagram as well. We read the first chapter of a different book. So it just, it, we have thrillers, not ours. We read from ours as well, but that's only whenever they release. Um, but we have all kinds of genres. The only thing we don't read is uh, memoirs and erotica because erotica would be weird. I'm yeah. not, no, I'm not, that would be weird to read. Not yeah. weird to read, hey, whatever, but I'm yeah. not reading that out loud. <laughs> There's a comfort level there. There's what you can read yes. in your head and what you can. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That is a great idea. I could, I could see the demand for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's, it's grown same as you know, the Facebook group now has. I think about 4,700 members. Instagram is 2,000. Um, we've recently launched adding the videos to Spotify podcast because Spot Spotify has a video podcast now because yeah. we hold up the covers and stuff. You know, we hold up the books so you can see the covers. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's, 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 we kept saying if people stop listening and joining, we'll stop, but they haven't. So we've kept going. Good, good. Well, that's excellent. I always enjoy your novels. Thank you. And uh, the revenge list. How did it come together? Like I, you know, I sat back and I thought, okay, the revenge list. Hmm. How did? What was the spark for this? How did like, she have her own personal list? Because you know, not that you do, but I was like, how did this come together? Well, it was funny because I had. Um, I had an idea for a book, which I thought was really strong. 
and which my agent also thought was really strong. So we were we were geeking out over this idea and, and thinking that yeah 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 this is going to be this is going to be the next one. And she took it to my editor, and she said, ah, "We like the idea, but it feels a bit quiet. You know, it's it's it's, it's we need something a bit." A bit more high concept for those who are listening and 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 don't know what high concept means. It means something that is easily explained. So, for example, snakes on a plane. You already you know what you're getting. You get these yeah. snakes on a plane. Yeah. So something that's that's very that you can explain in twenty words or fewer. You know, yeah. somewhere around there. And this idea that I had that we felt was really strong needed more than twenty words and. They rejected it. So the publisher said, no, yeah, what else have we got? So I came up with another idea and then a third idea. And they rejected those two. And I was getting a bit antsy. Yeah. Um, not angry, but a bit antsy. And I thought, too quiet. My this idea is too quiet. I'll give you too quiet. Yeah. And then I came up with the idea for the revenge list. So it was, it was just me starting to panic, thinking, oh my goodness, I'm never gonna have another good idea again. And I need something a bit, a bit. Um, e- easier to explain and louder and easier to pitch, and then the revenge list popped into my head. Uh, it was it was one of those one of those moments. It just happened. Well, I know when I was reading it, and as I'm going through the chapters, I would flip back to that list almost like because ah! there's a almost like a, a grading scale to yes. the names on that list, That's right? right? Yep. You know, and I'm like, okay, where where's this person on the list? <laughs> It, it made it interactive, right? I love that. That's yeah. great. Um, it's interesting because I just scribbled a note here. I've been reading a book that was rec- recommended to me. It has to do. It's a. Uh, it's. It applies to screenwriting, and I believe it's. It's on my bedroom table. It's like how to save a cat. Yeah, save a cat by Blake Snyder. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, he, love that book. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about titles. And you mentioned Snakes on a Plane. Yes. The Revenge List. And he had used the example Legally Blonde. Like, yes. So he, because it's that question of what is it? Yes. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's a great book. I use um, because the Save the Cat writes a screenplay and then Save a Cat writes a novel. I have not read the latter. But I use Save the Cat Writes a Screenplay in combination with um, an online course from writershq.co.uk called Plot Stormers. And it's an amalgamation of those two that, that I use to plot my novels. So I'm very familiar with Save the Cat. I love it. It's brilliant. Well, it was, it, it, you know, he, he says logline, you know, and yes. it's just how someone takes, I guess it's just that different approach that I'm going like light bulbs or, you know, just it's, yes, are going on, right? Yes. Last year when I wrote, um, or or when, not last year, I didn't write it last year, but it it published last year, Never Coming Home. Um, This is the story about a a man who hires a hitman on the dark web to get rid of his very wealthy, but equally annoying wife. And as I was plotting it, I was thinking of log lines, tag lines more than log lines. And one of the ones Along the, the same vein of what is it, yeah. I came up with missing wife, happy life. 
And it made me laugh so much. And I sent it to my editor as a joke, a little bit tongue in cheek. And it's actually now on the back of the book. And that was a direct result from using Save the Cat, just thinking, okay, what is this about? It's extraordinarily helpful, I think, yeah. that book. Mm-hmm. So we've been teasing, We've I've been teasing <laughs> listeners. Can you give us a little bit about what the Revenge List is about? Yes, of course. So the Revenge List is, in essence, a story about an anger management group therapy exercise that goes terribly, terribly wrong. That's that's basically the story. So Frankie ends up in anger management group therapy following a, a situation at work. She is tasked with writing a forgiveness list, a list of all of the people she could work to forgive, who she feels have wronged her, and she could forgive if she chose to do so. But of course, she doesn't want to forgive any of them because she doesn't like any of them particularly. And the list disappears after the anger management session, and the people on said list start having these um, accidents. And the question is, coincidence? or something more sinister. And because Frankie put her own name on the list, because her past self is the one person she will never forgive, she's now potentially in a lot of trouble. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I care for Frankie. When she's at the garage, I could so relate. So were there any experiences that you you yourself were involved in that you drew upon when you were writing this novel not not in terms of the 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 way that frankie deals with her anger necessarily or the situations that she finds herself when when she has these outbursts no um i i'm not i'm not a particularly angry person either i mean i do get angry i mean yeah. don't we all um, but I know that when I'm stressed, yeah. it tends to come out as anger because okay. it's just I'm overwhelmed and oh, I've got 50 million things to do and uh, you know and it and it's just it's just too much. So then it can come out not as rage. There's a yeah. I think there's a difference between anger and rage. Yeah, uh, thankfully, but that can manifest itself. I know that if I'm overloaded, then I can I I have to check myself and think. Okay, nobody else knows that you're overloaded. Get over yourself and calm down. Right. Um, but in terms of direct experiences, there is there is uh, a character who has appendicitis in the book, and our son, our eldest son, had appendicitis when he was when he was ten. Thankfully, nowhere near as complicated as as the character in the book. But I was able to draw on that experience a, a little bit, uh, or quite a lot actually, remembering what that was like because it's it's ten years ago now, and that was that was that was not very nice for him predominantly, but also. Yeah. For us as parents, it was a little because you hear horror stories about what can happen. Um, so that that was a direct experience, yes. Well, the worry when a child is yes. ill, that yes, it's awful. Not, that it's is awful. that is yeah. awful. Yeah. Well, Frankie makes a statement, and I just like to read it. And it's truth is, we all carry some degree of anger inside, every single one of us. And I found after my mom passed, this was in 2018, that that's when I would start to feel irritated. (laughs) Like I didn't, I don't think of myself as an angry person, but that's when 
you know, just this irritation. Like, it's almost like, uh, whether it's, I had lost that bit of, just um, as I'm listening to you, that, that keep yourself in check, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just come on, settle down, right? Yes. You know, not, not, not that I would do anything, but it, yes. I would harbor it inside, yes. right? So did I've just the research did did you attend an anger management session for research purposes or I'm just thinking I'm looking at your career you know um being a CEO CEO and the companies you worked for uh were there any um seminars on how to handle difficult employees that cuz I guess what I'm trying to say is the scenes when she's in her sessions, when they're sitting in the circle, are excellent. So you. I was just wondering, um, it just, again, drawing upon any experiences of, for those scenes. So I didn't, I didn't um, attend any anger management sessions, but I, I did have in my, in my corporate career, a business coach. Um, and there were a number of occasions where I spoke to him about situations that we had with with employees which were really eye-opening because I remember one of them um I got into into a bit of an argument not like Frankie does but into a disagreement we'll call it a disagreement with a with a colleague and I called the coach afterwards and I said "I, I don't I don't get it I don't get it you know this is what I said and this is what he understood. And that's not what I said. And and his name was Jim, the business coach. And he said, okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Um, it's not what you said that counts. It's how it was perceived. And I said, yeah, but that's not what I he said. No, no, huh, listen, listen to me. It's not what you think you said that counts. It's his perception of what you said that matters. And I opened my mouth to say something to, to contradict again. And I thought, oh, okay, I get it. So that was a real light bulb moment um, that that you might think you're saying something one way, but if the other person receives it differently, then you're talking at cross purposes. Yeah. So, so that was quite eye-opening. And he helped me a lot dealing with, with different personalities because invariably – um, in the workplace, I mean, even in marriage with two, there's there's going to be clashes. Yeah, uh, in an office with multiple personalities, that, that there's going to be more. So yes, I, I I had some training and coaching there. Um, in terms of researching anger management, I took a course with Sheridan. Actually, it was while I was writing this book with Sheridan College here in in uh, the GTA, Greater Toronto area. They offered a course. Um, it was called Criminal Minds, Psychopathic Minds. Oh wow! And it was an online course for twelve weeks. It was absolutely fascinating. I loved taking this course. It was brilliant. And one of the modules was about anger and okay. how we deal with it. And it was it was so interesting because one of the one of the key messages that i took away was that anger is an emotion just like any other okay anger is an emotion equally as valid as happiness or love or whatever it is or jealousy or whatever it's an emotion that exists that is valid and it's how you handle it and what you do with it that's yeah. important okay so you know when people say oh you you know don't get angry don't it's perceived so negatively 
Yeah. But it's only negative if you handle it badly. <laughs> okay. You know, so yeah. it changed my perception of anger because we you often I've said to my kids, oh, don't don't get angry. Well, maybe it's it's okay to be angry. It's completely okay. It's it's yeah. it's an emotion like any other. But then it depends on what you choose to do with it that yeah. can become problematic. Okay. Okay. That's that's well, I'll take that with me. I will take that yeah. when I'm walking to my dogs. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I felt for Frankie. And yeah, I did uh, too. I liked her. I liked yeah. Her <laughs> you know, and I think it's it's like you say sometimes what she's she's coping with is how she's handling some of the situations. Yes. Um and I sometimes feel that with after the lockdown, I feel that not all individuals, but sometimes I feel that our our coping mechanisms weren't or aren't as they should be as they were prior to lockdown. Do you do you you think that at all that we need to maybe take more of a step back and just breathe? <laughs> yes, I, I I completely agree. I, I think it probably started before lockdown. I think we can we can pinpoint around about 2016 yeah. <laughs> when things started to go a little bit awry or a lot awry. And, yeah. Um, there is certainly south of the border, but elsewhere too, such a dis- divide right now that I personally find really, really troubling to the point where I I do go on social media as part of my job as an author to be on social media, to be to be present. But I try not to linger too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I find people people online um, get into arguments. You might get into say things that you wouldn't say to somebody's face, but because you're behind a computer screen, you you do. Um, and people who have never met one another, who might actually get along if they were face to face, start getting into arguments, and it, it's just it it feels. Maybe it's the lockdown as well, but there is just with COVID, the vaccinated, not vaccinated, all that yeah. stuff has just created so many, so many problems and 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 grievances. Which is, I don't know. I just I I always try and remind myself just to treat people with kindness because it's free. Um, it, it it's easier than than being nasty, yeah. and it's healthier for all parties concerned. <laughs> So that's what I try and do. So if I'm in traffic, that might be where I get get frustrated. Come on, yeah. I've got to go somewhere. Hurry up, whatever. Um, I always I remember reading somewhere, which I thought was a bit pedantic, but but also still interesting, is if you're getting angry in a situation, look for this situation from the outside and think, what can you learn? And again, it's a little bit pedantic, but what can you learn from this situation? What is the situation trying to teach you? So if I'm if the lights are invariably red when I'm going to pick somebody up from the train station or whatever, one of my lads after uni, then I'll think, hmm, maybe the universe or whoever is telling me to work on my patience because I am notoriously terrible at patience. I'm not a patient person. And so sometimes I remind myself of that slightly pedantic yet still quite valuable lesson of what what is this situation trying to teach me? And my husband's great because he always thinks of, he looks at situations and if he can't change anything, if he has no control over it, he just lets it go. 
Oh, Which wow. I can't do. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can. Yeah. Okay. That's another thing I'm going to take with me. Yeah. Okay. Just. Yeah. And go. I think actually, you know, the lack of control you mentioned yeah. um, and your mom passing, I'm really sorry to to hear that and my my mum passed as well in in 2020 but three years before that she had an accident she fell in a really steep driveway um she it was a driveway where the garage um is underneath the house yeah. you know, where you can drive into the garage under under the house and she slipped and fell and went head first into the doors at the bottom oh, and my. instantly instantly suffered quadriplegic injuries and never got up and walked again so she went from walking 20 kilometers a day in her early 70s without without breaking a sweat to being able to move her shoulders and her head. And that was it. Um, and it was just like that. Done. And I thought somebody who is paralyzed um, doesn't feel pain. That was my naive assumption. And actually, there's an awful lot of nerve pain that goes on. A little like phantom limb. If somebody has their arm amputated, they think that their arm hurts, yet it's not there. How can it? Well, that's neuropathy. It's it's nerve pain. And she was in excruciating pain on goodness knows how many painkillers. And that made me angry. Yeah. Um, same when my best friend was murdered. That made me angry. Yeah. Um, and then when my mom passed three and a half years later after after her fall, that made me angry too because it shouldn't have happened, but it shouldn't have happened. I mean, bad things happen to good people all the time. But I think it's also the lack of control in these situations because there's nothing we can do yeah. that is so frustrating. And, and, and I remember feeling really, really angry when she fell, thinking, you know, what has she done to anyone? Well, nothing. She's never did anything to anyone. It's, it's 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 not fair. No, it's not fair. But life isn't fair, and it's just it's just one of those things. Um, yeah. So I think I think maybe anger sometimes also stems from us being uh, just feeling helpless and where we have no control. So we're ang- angry at ourselves yeah. because we can't control or do anything about the situation that somebody we love finds themselves in. We can't fix it. Right? That's right. Yeah. We can't yeah. fix it. I'm sorry yeah. about your mom too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Now, with writing the revenge list. Yes. Before we start we started again, before we got on the mic, I was mentioning how I'm thinking of things with spy girls. And I'm thinking, why didn't you think of this three months ago? <laughs> right. <laughs> it would make the rewriting that much easier, right? You know, so were there any surprises when you were writing this book? You know, as you're 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 just you're in the moment, you're just you're just trying to get type as fast as you can. Um, any situations that made you go, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Um funnily enough, I actually read the plot uh, because I'm a heavy plotter. I read the plot for the revenge list this morning, and there there were some things that I changed. Okay. Um, not a huge amount and nothing that that shifted the plot entirely. Yeah. I think what surprised me most, that even though it's a thriller and it deals with anger, yeah. it's also in parts, I hope, depending if you like my sense of humor or not, quite funny. 
Yeah. And that surprised me as I was writing it. You mentioned the scene when she's at the uh, the gas station. Oh, God. Uh, and she, <laughs> she gets into a little bit of an altercation, verbal altercation with, oh, with people there because uh, she's blocked the woman in front of her, won't move. She's yeah. taking her sweet, sweet time, choosing snacks inside. And Frankie's anxious to get going and get to the hospital. And then she can't back up because two guys have blocked, uh, blocked the car behind. So she's getting frustrated and, and she's, again, in a situation where she doesn't have control, n- not only the car being blocked and what have you, but other stuff too. Yeah. And these two dudes um, get out of the car behind and they have these ball hats on or the baseball hats on and they they say something to her that perhaps isn't very nice. And yeah. she turns around and says, back off deliverance. <laughs> And I remember writing that sentence and just starting to laugh because I could see her say that. Yeah. And I loved Frankie because, I mean, anyone who picks up this book, it deals with anger management. So there is anger in the book. You should not pick this book up and not expect to read about anger because it's right there on the back cover. Yeah. Um, But I I could see her say that. And I could, I think Frankie... In some ways, I envied her because she would say stuff that I wouldn't have the goal to say. Yes. <laughs> and I'm so glad you said that because she does. She, she says, does. she calls people out on things and you're just she like, does. yeah, you know, which <laughs> sometimes we've been raised that, oh, oh, that's not a polite thing to say, but it, yes. you know, and yeah, no, it is. Yes. It yes. is. It's funny. a double-edged sword though, because you know, Writing characters who do fly off the handle, it, it, it's it, a little bit risky because generally people don't like angry women, dare I say, in particular, right? Yeah. Uh, an angry man might get an easier, a, a, a less hard time or an easier time because of the emote, because it's more masculine or whatever. I don't know what yeah. the excuse is for that. Um, so I, I like writing Frankie and having a a, a person who who has this anger bubbling underneath the surface. And I hope, I hope that when people read the story and and uncover Frankie's past, they understand why she is the way she is. There are reasons why she flies off the handle. There are reasons why she's frustrated and, and, and angry. Um, And I hope by the end, people will understand why and how she became who she is, and then and then cheer her on a little bit for what comes next. Well, and you see her change too, you know, yes. like that that arc, yes. that character yes. arc, right? And that was important. That yeah, was important. we see that she grows and learns and realizes that maybe being angry all the time or flying off the handle isn't the best solution necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's another character we're not going to mention the name. Mm-hmm. Which I was wondering, could this character be redeemed? And had that crossed your mind? Because you kind of leave that possibility <laughs> without you saying mean in a sequ- Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, sequels are sequels are tricky things. Um I've had that question a number of times now for Sister Dear, for You Will Remember Me. Um, for the revenge list, it's come up already a, a number of times, which, yeah. I, which I'm excited about. But the thing with sequels is you need to have um, 
first of all, you need to have a really good idea <laughs> for a sequel. So I have to come up with something really good. Then it has to be able to be read as a standalone, because otherwise you're really limiting your audience to those who read the revenge list, but also those who enjoyed it. Because I'm yeah. under no illusion that everyone who picks it up is going to love it. They're not. That's just not the way it works. Yeah. So you have to make sure that it can be read as a standalone. Um, then there has to be enough reader appetite for okay. a sequel. And there has to be publisher appetite to release a sequel. So that's a lot of conditions to, frankly, even spend time thinking about what a sequel might might look like. And then it would have to be something that I would agree with my publisher beforehand um, because I wouldn't want to spend six months or a year or whatever working on a sequel that then just dies on my hard drive somewhere. So yeah. I've been playing around with an idea, um, not necessarily for Frankie, but but just for a sequel um, uh, for one of my books. And I'm I'm that's all I've done. That's all I've I've, I've just let my mind gen- gently think about it. But it's sequels are tricky things unless you have a series. Yeah, and then and I guess it's it's a different a different ball game. But uh, for now, the Revengeist is a standalone. But who knows? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. That that's really good. that's neat. I'm just thinking about all your answers there, and that's yeah. There is a lot to consider. Yes, you know? yes definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, was there any scene that was um, really? difficult to write or was there a scene that after you wrote it you thought okay I need to get some air I'm going to you know go for a walk or I'm going to watch the great Canadian baking show that is that is my two my go-to I love that I love that show (laughs) I love that show it's one of my favorite just the music makes me smile same with the great British bake-off I always love them and Paul Hollywood or my husband looks remarkably like Paul Hollywood which is really we always tease him when he comes on the screen it's really quite funny um so yes there were a couple but I I can't I can't go into them too much or or I'll spoil it um certainly the opening of the book where there's um Frankie finds herself in a very difficult precarious situation that chapter was actually closer to the end and then I moved it to the beginning of the book um so it so the book starts I don't think this is a spoiler. The the book starts with Frankie in a car with somebody who's driving and they basically go off the edge of a cliff. Yeah. And that that one um, was initially, I think it was the third to last chapter, I think. And then I moved it forward um, so that the, chapter two is then, I think, 10 days earlier or something like that. So you so you go back in time, back in time. Yeah. You go back 10 days to then find out how on earth she ended up in this car mm-hmm. and with whom and why. Um, so I remember writing that one and thinking, oh, bleh, this, yeah. is, this is creepy. Um, I, I enjoyed writing it, but but I had some heart palpitations going on as I, yeah. <laughs> as I wrote it. Yeah, definitely. Well, with not giving anything away, I just remember thinking that that pushing, that pushing the hand against yes. the the yes. inside. Would you say the roof? I wouldn't yeah, be the roof. Yes, yes, yeah, but yeah, of the car, right? Like yeah. I thought, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, exactly. She's trying to hold on to, for love or money because she doesn't know. <laughs> it's nighttime. They've just gone off the edge of a cliff, you know, barreled through this barricade, and, and she does not know what's on the other side. Oh, but yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So I have to ask, you know, like at the back of, of the book, it mentions about your next novel yes. involving an all-female rock group, which I think is so cool. So <laughs> I thank you. God, I, yeah, I have to ask about that. Can you give us a teaser about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, it's I, I, it's funny. I get I really geek out about about books, and I really geeked out over this story. So, it's the story of the rise and violent demise of it's another thriller um, of the all female pop rock group called the Bittersweet. Um, they end up in a car accident out in the middle of nowhere in the Catskills. And one of the band members decides that, hmm, rock bands are often worth more dead than alive. So, <laughs> Whoa. So the way we've pitched it is Daisy Jones and the Six meets oh. Ruth Wears one by one. Oh. That would be the pitch. Oh. <laughs> and it was so much fun to write. It was, I had a blast with the revenge list. I really did. And then with the new thriller, we don't have a title for, we have a working title, but I don't know if it will stick. Yeah. Um, it was, it was just so much fun to write and so different too. And the way it came about, I had this idea, um, but it involved work colleagues Okay. With a similar similar thing, you know, going somewhere and then people dying you know, one by one kind of thing. And I was chatting with my editor and she said, yeah, but work colleagues, you know, do people want to read about work? Most people want to get away from work. So I'm not really sure that's the way you should go. And I was chatting with um, two of my friends, Jennifer Hillier and Samantha Bailey. And I said, yeah, I've got this, got this idea for a book and I need a group of women. It has to be all women. Want it to be all women. Yeah. And I'd like it to be a group, but I don't want it to be a book club because that sounds a bit tame, you know? And a lot of people I, it are. It can't doing be work. That. Yeah. I don't want to do work. Um, what else do you think it could be? And Sam said, Well, why don't you make it a band? And I thought, a band. Yeah. Yes, a band. And that was it. Off I went. Um, and it was it was an absolute blast to write. I loved it. Well, I hope you come on so we can talk about that too. I'd love to. Yeah, <laughs> I think it will release probably the same schedule, probably spring next year, I would imagine. Um, that's probably the timeline. Because I'm already thinking, I find when I'm writing, I like listening to music and it it depends. Like I'm, we're going to get into, I'm just, I'm kind of leaping, like this is kind of actually sliding into my next question you know, you're talking about writing, let's say, doing something a little different. Mm -hmm. Once I'm done these rewrites with the current book, I am finally, I've been wanting for like the last three years to write this time travel alternate universe. Wow. And so we go back to, <laughs> to 1976, all right? Mm -hmm. And I've been listening to songs from 1976 Amazing. and uh i have to show you something hannah 
okay, without losing some, what I want to find out, this is my question. I'm saying it to you now so I don't forget. I want to know if you listened to music when you were involved in writing this song for the band to have to kind of have like an idea of what type of music the band would produce. Did you I'm, 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 you might I might as well ask you that question now. So did you listen to music? Yes, I did. So the the, the protagonists are actually quite quite young. They're in their early 20s. Um, but then it goes back to how the two founders of the the group met on the first day of grade 12. Um, so so it spans the, the book spans about four years, yeah. uh, how they met and then and then and, and what happened in their relationship and and then and it's in two very distinct parts. And they like 70s, 80s, 90s and noughties music. So I listened to a lot of that. Yeah. Which I, normally I don't listen to music when I write. I oh, find it anything that's not instrumental. Yeah. I find it distracts me because I'm listening to the lyrics. Yeah. Um, but with, so with this, I did listen to music, but it wasn't necessarily as I was writing. It was while I was doing other stuff, you yeah. know, out walking or cooking or gardening <laughs> or whatever else you know um so I, I did I did listen to a lot and it was it was really 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 fun so you said you listen to music or do you, as you write it depends um oh. so as I'm working on the rewrites I have instrumental jazz music yes. playing okay yeah, yeah. um if there is one song if I'm writing a fight scene, <laughs> there yeah. is one song that I put on and it, it's just, it's the guitar. Uh, and I'm, if I, the name comes to me, I will, uh, it's Rooster, it's called Rooster. And if the name comes to me, I will, I will let you know what the name of the band is. And it's just, it, it's a lot of guitar, a lot of heavy drums, and it just, puts me in that mood okay that, that, mood. Oh, that I can okay I can I can write I could write this scene which now makes me think thinking of your novel some songs like if this song that I listen to puts me in the mood to write a fight scene I think sometimes music is a way to release some let's say of that angst I don't want, or anger or just that angst, right? So anyway, yes. yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So it's just for me, I start listening to let's say hits from 1976, mm -hmm. just to kind of think of okay, what was that time? Like trying to trigger yes. memories because I was around in 1976. Yeah, <laughs> <right>? yeah. <laughs> Same. I don't remember a huge amount, but yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so. Thinking about, again, different, on your website, you write that you're returning to the softer side. Yes. You're also writing romantic comedies under the pseudonym Holly Cassidy. This is very cool, and I'm very curious. Uh, why did you want to, um, let's say, do a turn into this lane at this point of time? So... In 2020, um, if we go back, put us back three years, COVID yeah. just really started or 
started to get a handle, not, not even started to get a handle, no, you know, no vaccines and lockdowns and yeah. just horrible. And that was the year my mum passed in uh, in July. And I couldn't get to Switzerland to to see her before she passed. And it was really horrible. It was a, it was a gut-wrenching decision. Do I go? Do I not go? Do I take the risk? Do I not? It was it was it was just awful. Yeah. And I remember thinking that I needed a form of escape. And I was writing Never Coming Home at the time, which published in 2022. And Lucas in Never Coming Home, the guy who hires the hitman on the dark web to get rid of his rich but very annoying wife, yeah. was really funny. If you like my sense of humor, yeah. so I'll just put that caveat out there. If you like, my, if you like, you know, kind of dark, dry British sense of humor, then then you'll you, you'll hopefully enjoy the book. So as I was writing it, I was I was just laughing a lot, which was exactly what I needed because everything else seemed just so hopeless and horrible. Mm-hmm. The whole world was just going to hell in a handbasket, and um, it was just it was just nasty. And every day I got up and I was looking forward to writing this book and having a laugh with my my murdering um, Lucas. Yeah, not me murdering him. I mean his murderous <laughs> ways. And I, I loved that experience. And I thought, you know, it, it would be really fun to write something um, funny and lighter, uh, but how would I do that? And when would I do that? And I'm writing a thriller a year. Yeah. How would that even work? And then I saw Karma Brown and Marissa Stapley, um, announced that they were co-writing a book called, uh, The Holiday Swap, written as Maggie Knox. Okay. And I thought, oh, wow, a Christmas rom-com. That would be fun. That would be so much fun. That would be so much fun. What would I write about? And I played around, just, just you know, didn't even really necessarily write much down, but just played around with a couple of ideas of what that might look like. But again, I, I then decided, well, when would I do that? And how would I do that? And do I write the book first and then take it to my agent? Or yeah. and what if they say no? And then I've I've wasted my time. And so I did nothing because inertia sometimes is the easier option. Yeah. And then in in 2022. Yes. So 20, so about 18 months later, as I still have these ideas trundling around in my head, my agent, Carolyn, asks me out of the blue if I had an appetite to write a Christmas rom-com. Just out of the blue. Yeah. And I said, yeah, yeah. I do. And she said, well, do you have any ideas? And I said, yes, I do. Yeah. And so that's how uh, the Christmas Wager came about, which is publishing in in September. And it's completely different. So it's um, the story of Bella, who's a real estate person, real estate exec from originally from Canada, now in L.A., who goes to Colorado, this tiny little town called Maple Falls, to acquire the building in which there's a, um, a an all year round Christmas shop called Always Noel, and the owner wants to sell, but the hunky electrician grandson, my <laughs> husband's an electrician by the way, does not <laughs> want him to sell. Certainly not at the price that Bella is offering. So they enter into a Christmas wager because every year around Christmas time, Maple Falls has holiday games, which are these. Funny games um, organized by the seniors club called the Meriatrix. And um, they enter into this wager and whoever wins the holiday games gets to dictate the price. 
But of course, it's more than holiday games, sparks that fly. There's, there's oh. romance in it too. So it's just, you know, there's nobody gets murdered, nobody dies. It's <laughs> it's a happy ending. Oh. It, it was just so lovely. It was just it was just so nice to to write. But interestingly, when I'd finished writing the Christmas wager and finished uh, editing it, yeah. I was really ready to go back to writing a thriller. So, okay, enough of the loving, gooey stuff. Let me let me kill some fictional people now. And then I started working on the pop rock one, the pop yeah. rock group one. And that one, I think, the the, uh, the the bittersweet one, is probably my most murderous book yet. And I have a feeling it's because I, I balanced it out with writing a super sweet rom-com. Interesting. Okay. It's really funny. Because as you were mentioning the rom-com, I kept thinking, okay, was there a temptation to slip a body in there? Right. Do you know, do you know what was funny? I, I wrote a scene. There's a scene where there's one of these games that's organized by the seniors group, um, which which takes place on ice. Yeah. So the teams have to ferry kids who are dressed as Grinches or gifts. Yeah. to the other side of the lake in oh. dog sleds, but they don't, they're not given any dogs and they have to pull them themselves, the, the contestants, and they're blindfolded because that's how the meriatrics roll. That's just, oh, that's okay. just how they work. And I wrote this scene and I had, this isn't a spoiler, one of the, one of the sleds, <clears throat> or one of the people, I should say, not the kids, pulling the sleds falls through the ice. Yeah. And my editor wrote back and she said, she said, oh, we talked about it on the phone. She said, oh, no, no, that, you know, that's that's too scary with the kids on the on the back of the sled. And I said, but the kids are fine. You know? <laughs> that's the dude who falls through and he's not in the water for long. He's fine. Nobody dies. She yeah. said, no, 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 it's it's too it's too it's too scary. And I started laughing. I said, you should read my other stuff. <laughs> I <was gonna> say. <laughs> so I really had to. There were a couple of occasions where I had to pull back on the thriller brain and think, okay, this is a rom-com. This is light yeah. and and sweet and, it, you know, all the lovely feels, not the angsty, angry, scary ones. You know, get, get those out in your other books, not in this one. So it was, it was quite a fun experience. I, I really enjoyed writing it. It was fun. That sounds cool. That that sounds like that would be a really cool experience. Just yeah. I'm just thinking they're they because they're two different genres for sure. Completely yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. Completely, completely different. I mean, there's generally in my thrillers, um there's some form of of romantic angle potentially, although not 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 in the pop rock one uh, necessarily. But in the other ones, in in the revenge list, there's a there's a there's a hint in certainly in oh, never coming home, maybe not so much. Well, <laughs> yeah, but it's fake because he yeah. marries her for her money. Um, but in the others, there's always a, a, a bit of it. It might be twisted and yeah. unhealthy yeah. Um, romantic angle, but it but it's there nonetheless. Um, but of course, with the Christmas wager, it's all about the romance. It's, yeah. it's the will they, won't they? You know, the 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 boy meets girl, uh, or boy meets boy, or boy or girl meets girl, whatever the combination is. Yeah. Um, and then they they boy loses girl, in the, in the, or girl loses girl, or boy loses boy, yeah. and then yeah. they get back together again potentially. So it, it's 
it was interesting to write because another another aspect of it was that in a rom-com you pretty much know what's going to happen at the end right yeah. if you start watching a rom-com you can identify generally early on which couple is going to end up together yeah so when I started writing it, I thought, oh, this is great. I don't have to come up with a super twist at the end. Like I do, like, like we bend over backwards in in, in thrillers yeah. to try and come up with something new and different and that people aren't going to say they saw coming from miles away. That's part, a huge part of the challenge because readers are so smart. And it, yeah. if they read a lot of thrillers, they know, you know they can, yeah, we knew that was going to happen. So you have to come up with something different. So that pressure in the rom-com fell away. And initially, I felt relief until I realized that that's the expectation. People know that that's going to happen, yeah. or they hope they know that that's going to happen. They'll be happily ever after. So how do you make it interesting enough for them to want to take that journey with you? Oh, yeah. So it's a different experience. Yeah. It's, it's quite, um, <clears throat> it, it wasn't easy. <laughs> I could, I could understand. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely understand. Definitely. Definitely. Wow. So before I forget, when is the revenge list being released? May 23rd. May 23rd. All right. And anything you'd like to add, Hannah? Uh, You were going to show me something. Yes. So when we were talking about music and doing yes. something different, right? Yes. Um, have you? Okay, so I'm wondering if you've had this experience too. So I'm. it's funny because you kind of cringed when you mentioned gardening. I kind of cringe when I have to go grocery shopping, okay? Um, <laughs> and I, I went grocery shopping. I had to get a few things, and I'm standing in the lineup, and I'm seeing the banner, you know, just saying how they need help here, help there, help here, help every department in the store. They needed help, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting with my items and I look up and in the newsstand. So I've started, I was doing, as my editor had Spy Girls, I was working on this alternate universe, time travel one. 1976 is the year my heroine is, you know, goes back in time. And I'm standing there and I look up and there's this People magazine that says 1976 edition. No way. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, is that coincidence? Is that synchronicity? Are you going to buy the magazine? No, you don't need the magazine. Are you going to buy the, Yeah, you're going to, yeah, yeah, you're getting yeah, the magazine. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. the magazine. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because every author I mentioned that to yourself and I, Eileen Cook, she was saying, you get the magazine, you know, yeah. you, like that's, that's too, that's, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That, I'm not a superstitious person, but I would have bought the magazine. Yeah. So, <laughs> have you had that happen? Because the other thing that happened to me was getting din- some dinner ready and on the news, it showed an individual who had, put out his resume saying that he was a hitman to hire. And I thought of your book um, oh, coming home. Yeah. And I thought, that's like Hannah's book. Right? Yeah, right. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure things like that have happened. And, and I can't I can't think of anything. Nothing specific comes to mind. But I think 
maybe when you're in the book or you're th- you know when we live and breathe the story that we're creating yeah. we're just more aware of things it's a little bit like um when you are for me certainly when we were trying to 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 have a baby and i had fertility issues and whatnot all i could see was pregnant people. Okay. <laughs> you'd spot them all around and you're pregnant and you're pregnant and you're pregnant and I'm not. You know? yeah. Whereas yeah. before when we hadn't been trying for a baby, I wouldn't have wouldn't have really paid attention. So that's that's one that's got nothing to do with the books, but especially when I went to IKEA. With either newborns or toddlers or pregnant yeah. women or whatever, you know, it's just yeah, one of those things. But I'll have to I have to pay attention to that. That's that's so funny. I'm glad you got the magazine. Yeah. And Spy Girls, when do you have a pub date for that yet? September 15th. Oh, September 15th. So go on, uh, go on. Tell us tell us about Spy Girls. Okay. I gotta think of that tagline. So basically, <laughs> my heroine, Jade, she gets coerced into um helping a double agent for a Russian spy. So that's that's what she ends up doing. And everything, her job, everything that she wants is put on the line, oh, helping wow. a Russian agent. Yeah. Is it historical or is it set present day? No, it's set in present day. Oh, so, wow. Uh, it was, I was interviewed by the House of Mystery and uh, one of the, the co-hosts, he was a former CIA covert action officer okay wow and he said well if you need some help so i did i sent him my manuscript and uh he excellent points we had like this two-hour conversation after and a lot of excellent points beyond just about cia and espionage also because he's a writer too about writing as well you know so (laughs) you know for me i have two male characters and one male character, he's a little bit rougher, but he's nice, but he seems he seems to be easier to write. Where the other male character, who's very polite, has had a very, um, like, for lack of a better word, like proper upbringing, I need to um, work on his voice, work on his voice much, much, much more. And that's what I've been trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, it sounds fascinating. How did you come up with the idea? Oh gosh. Uh the idea it was um I've I've listened to spy podcasts and uh I just thought that what if game I always like secrets and I thought what if Adam the nice guy, right? Yeah, has yeah. this secret yeah. of this secret life and now it See, one of the things I hear on the Spy podcast are how hard relationships are. So this is like what you're saying with the revenge list. There's there are complicated relationships, like the yes. Frankie and her father, right? Yes, Frankie and her brother. You know, mm-hmm. I thought with these Spy podcasts, they're saying how hard it is to have a relationship, like a normal relationship, when you have to keep so much of your life secret. Right. right. I wonder if you even could have a normal relate what we consider a normal relationship or a regular relationship if you can't be open and honest and you have to hide that much. I mean, yeah. we've all seen true lies. We know yeah. what happened to <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis and yeah. Arnold. <laughs> yeah. So it's I want when people are reading this book 
to question because I have Jade and Adam in book two. I want them to question as they're reading this book, are these two going to make it? Yes. Yes. Because she, she gets pulled into some nasty stuff and I, I come, I'm trying to work it so that they're together because of necessity, because of what needs to be done. And I want the the reader to think, are they going to make it? Are Mm -hmm. they going to make Mm -hmm. it? Right. So, yeah, yeah. It's for, I tried writing a romance and I was told it was too dark because I think I slipped a dead body in there. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, you could write romantic suspense. True, true. You could do that too. Yeah. So I do try to work in relationships, you know, into a story like you have, yes. like you have, yes. right? Yeah. So. I like that aspect. It makes the characters more. I think more rounded and more human and you see different different angles of their personality depending with whom they're interacting. So yeah. I, yeah. I always enjoy that aspect. Creating creating people that you know, if if Frankie walked in through the door, I mean I'd still be surprised if she said, Hey, I'm Frankie. Okay, yeah. this is weird. But it would almost feel normal because she she feels like a proper human being. Like she could yeah. she could actually exist. That's yeah. that's how much I like to develop my characters. Well, Hannah, thank you. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. This has been great. And people, May 23rd, The Revenge List is out. Can people pre-order it? They can. They sure can. If they go to hannahmarymckinnon.com, there's the uh, the cover there. You click on that and you get all the links from all the different places you can find it. Or just Google The Revenge List, Hannah Mary McKinnon. And you'll find it there too. Excellent. Okay. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you.